everybody, welcome to another episode of Cape Town. We're a superhero podcast about superhero things. And I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. I'm Hannah Mazel. And Ryan Ham is, he's out this week. I don't even know what he's doing. He just said he couldn't do it. Conference? Maybe he just didn't it. But I, I, I can't keep up with him. He's a man yeah, of mission. I think he's in a different country. Yeah, I think he's traveling. Whatever. He's not here right now. We won't get into that. Um, but we're here. And Hannah, you're back for like after two two episodes in a row. I think you were absent. It's nice to have you back on the podcast. We didn't know what we were doing without you. You guys did fine. I listened in. Uh, I'm happy to be back though. Did you listen? It's okay if you did. Did you listen to the episodes that did not have you in them? I listened to some of them. I will say that it's hard to ever listen to a complete episode when I don't have the incentive of listening to my own voice. (laughs) No, I have like little drives where I don't have my children in the car with me. And like every time I try to listen to it as kids like to do, they like to interrupt anything that they know is not meant for them. Sure. You know, like they're sure. like plus you don't want to you don't want to expose them to all the f bombs that were dropped on the Teen Titans episode. <laughs> we got it. We got an. Ex- Did you see the explicit tag? We really got it. Really, <laughs> I wasn't there for that. Oh my it gosh! Felt like, it felt like we made it. Even my like rant on uh, X Men didn't get one of those. I think so. I need to up. I need to up my game. I don't know if this will be the episode for it. But we've got an opportunity. We're talking about the famously like. The famously adult Fantastic Four in this episode, so there's lots of opportunities for you to. We could get we could get kicked off of Apple. They're kicking people off right and left these days. Alex Jones was yesterday. Today it's going to be Cape Town. Who knows where tomorrow's going to go? It's a slippery slope. But before we get to Fantastic Four, we always start off by talking a little bit about some things that are happening in the news. The first thing that I have written down is that DC has announced that there's going to be a Supergirl movie, and. Like everything with DC, this feels like it would be really exciting if it was coming, if it had been announced by any other studio. Yeah, I just, I, I almost just wanted to respond to it with like a lackluster, yay. Like, nothing, <laughs> there's nothing about this announcement that like really excites me. And I don't even know if it's going to be made. Um, I like, for what it's worth, I, I do, it's been one of the, granted, I haven't kept up with it since like season two, but like, it's probably one of the fewer like, actual comic book television shows that i enjoy but yeah i don't know if there's like if it's going to tie into the greater like dc universe like i like i'm still waiting on my flash movie so like the fact <laughs> that they're announcing a supergirl movie is just kind of annoying at this point they've announced more movies than they've actually made at this point and it does seem like somebody's just kind of every day they reach into a, a little like machine with little balls bouncing around in it and announce a movie based on whichever character they pull out that's written on it yeah and supergirl sounds like a great idea there should be a supergirl movie i'd love to see a supergirl movie i'm just not sure that this is the supergirl movie that we need right now and it doesn't like there's really a plan in place but i'd love to see this one move forward it's being written by the guy who wrote the equalizer movies Ooh. I don't know if that intrigues our Equalizer fans out there. Supergirl is a Lyft driver. <laughs> is that what Equalizer is about? Or is it just about like, a taxi cab driver? The newest one is he's like retired, a retired hitman or whatever. And he's retired as a Lyft driver. <laughs> and so Chris Youngblood works for Lyft. He works in the, he's, he's very high up at the Lyft offices. Did you have to don't you like, sign up? <laughs> 
Oh, my secret identity is gone. Uh, I I have no idea. Those those conversations are way above my pay grade. <laughs> um, and also, like maybe a slightly less lackluster news, but also just sort of cautiously optimistic. Uh, we are going to get season three of Daredevil before this year is out. Um, and I think we're all sort of all over the place on where we're at with Marvel's Netflix universe. Where are you guys at in terms of another season of Daredevil? I am 100% pumped about another season of Daredevil. Daredevil, I feel, I know that some people didn't like season two as much um, with, you know, all the the ninjas. And uh, <laughs> I loved it. I've actually watched season two of Daredevil three times. What? Was- Whoa. Are you serious? All the way through? All the way through. <laughs> I know. I feel like that really, like, gives a false idea of what my my free time looks like but it was it was like <laughs> I was working from home and and I had time to to watch while I was working uh and so I just like blazed through it and, and it happened twice anyway so obviously I am not someone who can like play it cool I'm super <laughs> excited you know obviously you know we cover Jessica Jones the the show um, and I think we were all pretty disappointed with that. I feel like even if you didn't like Daredevil season two, it's still, I feel like it's been a pretty strong follow-up, especially compared to their other shows. It remains to be seen for Iron Fist, um, I guess, how that's going to go. And I haven't seen season two of Luke Cage. so Yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to get around to it, unfortunately. It's hard. There's a lot of sorry. Stuff right Luke, now. Luke Cage, that is not Daredevil season three. I, I I'm really excited about Daredevil season three. Like, granted, I did, I'm with the crowd that didn't really enjoy season two as much, but I still feel like, like the Daredevil storyline has been way more consistently good than it has been bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see where they pick up. I mean, the Defenders left us with a huge cliffhanger as far as uh, Matt goes. So. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see where they pick up and take the story. And I'm actually with, maybe we're not as all over the map on this as I thought, because I'm with, uh, I, I think that Daredevil is, right now is the strongest of the Netflix shows. I think that Charlie Cox gives the most interesting performance of anybody in these shows. Uh, along, I, and I really, really liked in season two, I thought him and John Bernthal as the Punisher had great chemistry, great interactions. I loved that part of the season. I did think it went a little off the rails at the end with Magic Ninjas. But Magic Ninjas are a part of the Daredevil lore. You can't really have a Daredevil show without Magic Ninjas in it. So I forgive it, and I and I do want to see another season, at least one more season of Daredevil. And I didn't even think Defenders was that. If they didn't put Magic Ninjas in, people would just be requesting Magic Ninjas. So you can't, you can't win. <laughs> damned if you do, damned if you don't. It looks like they're targeting December for it. We don't really know much about it this year. There were some rumors of a, of a casting for Bullseye, who's an iconic Daredevil villain, but we don't even know that for sure right now. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. You'll know when we know. Um, and then, oh man, so much bad news this week. There's going to be a movie about Craven the Hunter at Sony. I guess the, Sony's just If you just want to leave it at that, that's totally that's fine. Is. Yeah, that's all we know. That's all. nothing <laughs> else to say about it. They have a Venom movie that's coming out in October, and then we're going to get our Craven the Hunter movie. So their Spider-Man movie cinematic universe without Spider-Man in it is coming together in short order. Both of their greatest stories intertwine with Spider-Man. It just yeah. it doesn't make sense on how you build out these characters without that another trailer for venom dropped uh and we got to see like our full like look at venom and what he's going to be like and which like 
admittedly, I think he looks, I think it looks cool, but I think like, I think anything involving Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock in this is going to be laughably bad. And I just think it's going to be like another CGI thing. And it's just, these movies not integrating with the greater MCU is uh, pretty ridiculous at this point. So I, I really, I like, I'm almost in my mind boycotting whether or not uh, I even see Venom just because I think it's silly that it's going to go through. Yeah. I, I feel like not that all of these movies have to have a, a strong element of fan service to it, but I feel like there is none, which seems odd for, you know, anything having to do with the comic book world. And then also, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the writing seemed really bad. Like the lines in the Venom trailer were, it's pretty terrible. Like they were really bad. And I think actually, like I realized after I just said really bad, like that was one of the lines or something that Eddie Brock used to describe something. Like <laughs> I, I found something. It was really bad. I'm like, what is this? But he, <laughs> like, said, it, he said it. He sounded kind of like Bugs Bunny. It's, <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> I can't figure out what his journal, his New York journalism accent is, but it's another kind of weird voice from Tom Hardy, which I can get on board with, where you don't see his face, which is already less interesting to me. And a lot of otherwise really good actors who don't look like they want to be in this movie at all. And we haven't even seen Woody Harrelson yet. I don't know what they're thinking for him. The whole thing looks like a misfire from the jump. And and we, we'd love to be, we don't root for any of these movies to fail. Like, I would love to be proved wrong here. This doesn't look very good. It doesn't. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Chris, just another Spider-Man like <laughs> crime committed. <laughs> it hurts. Oh, we do have some Spider-Man news. Yeah, we do. Have some Speaking Spider-Man of Spider-Man, yeah. uh, so Samuel L. Jackson and Kobe Smulders, who are Nick Fury and Maria Hill, uh, respectively, have been confirmed for the next Spider-Man uh, Far From Home movie. Which kind of like I'm curious. So in the Ultimate comic book run of Spider-Man. Nick Fury and Peter like had this really interesting, uh, really interesting dynamic of like Nick always just kind of had his eye on him. And I don't know, it was kind of like this Godfather kind of relationship in my mind. He just kind of always watched over him in a way. It makes me have a better idea of the angle that they're going to go towards, like, like go with, like especially post Avengers four and Peter Parker's storyline. So yeah, I'm actually really excited for this announcement because I feel like it kind of got my little mind going with uh, what the movie's going to be about. There's been a few rumors that Jessica Drew, the Spider-Woman, is going to make an appearance in Far From Home too, possibly as a British agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. So if you have Nick Fury and Maria Hill in there, that would add up too. Um, but we still we just don't know very much about this movie right now. It's shooting in London. Jake Gyllenhaal is involved, probably as Mysterio. Um, we might be getting the chameleon, uh, and now Nick Fury is involved. There, it's a pretty good-sized cast for the considering the first Homecoming movie was so self-contained. I'm excited. I mean, it's not a hard stretch for me to be excited about this movie, <laughs> but I, I am excited for how it's developing, and uh, even like even rewatching Infinity War since it's come out uh, this week on um, digital or last week on digital. Like. Yeah, I just I'm getting excited for like what the next year and a half is going to look like uh, in the Marvel universe. How do you guys feel about this Birds of Prey movie that DC is working on? 
Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Thunder. I know. There's. <laughs> you really know how to take the wind out of my sail. I was like riding this high. The bullet points of the news that we found ahead of time. Satisfaction <laughs> is a little better, so that our enthusiasm like ramps up all the way through it. Um, I don't know, Hannah. How do you okay, feel? Okay. Well, I think if like they had released this news like right after I saw Wonder Woman, I would have been like, yes, oh, okay. totally. But I believe in you. Like, make us a great like movie with female leads like i you could do it um but i feel like since then i mean justice league which i haven't even wasted my time watching was a flop and then they keep just spitting out all these supposedly greenlit movies that like it's like okay all right like maybe instead of just like spreading yourself so thin giving us crap why don't you just like reel it in focus on a few good ideas and give us something like quality um something that's gonna maybe teeter them over like the 45 percent on the the tomato meter you know um and so that said i think i think i just have a general lack of enthusiasm for any of these dc movies right now i hope for for something good i think um i'm just not excited and the the names that are kind of being thrown around to me don't really impress me um hmm. for the movie that they don't impress me at all um well, what do you guys think? <laughs> well, I want to hear more. So, Birds of Prey. I guess we should back up because they're like not exactly a household name. Birds of Prey are. It's a title that takes place in Gotham City, and it's a team of superheroes, all women, who sort of supplement uh, Batman and Robin's crime-fighting activities. Uh, usually made up of Black Canary and the Huntress. Uh, with sometimes some auxiliary help from some uh, sort of anti-heroes like Catwoman and Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. Uh, Margot Robbie, who was Harley Quinn in The Suicide Squad, has been really pushing for this movie and promising that this was going to be really good. Um, and she's stepping into a producer role in this one as well. The only thing we know about it so far is that DC is interested in Blake Lively for Black Canary and Alexandria Daddario for Huntress. The only thing I know about Alexandria Daddario is that Hannah doesn't think she's a good actress. Hey, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. <laughs> I've only seen I saw her in True Detective. All I know her for is True Detective. And you said she was in Percy Jackson. Is that the Lightning Kid movies? Yeah, I think there are like three movies. Yeah, I missed those. I'm not sure. Well, he's a demigod and it was a lightning thief, but <laughs> not the lightning kid. <laughs> no. And he wasn't the lightning thief, but that's besides the point. We can go on. <laughs> I'll, re- I'll give that a watch and I'll come back and have some refined opinions about Alexandra Daddario. You could be the next guest on my Percy Jackson <laughs> podcast. Um, and then Blake Lively uh, as Black Canary. That one makes uh, a little more sense. Blake Lively's career has been kind of slowly building up a little bit of steam again. This would be her second foray into superhero movies after that Green Lantern movie that I think everybody is trying pretty hard to pretend it never happened. This is another one where I, I don't know, but it does look like, unlike a lot of DC movies we've heard about, this one does look like it's actually happening. Um, so we'll know more about it as they continue to cast it. We'll probably be getting some casting announcements on that pretty soon. And then the last piece of news that we do want to briefly address, because it is a, it's a big story that has a lot of resonance beyond just the superhero podcast world, is what's happening with the situation with James Gunn at Marvel right now. As everybody's probably aware, uh, James Gunn was fired from not just Guardians of the Galaxy 3, but from Marvel altogether after uh, the alt-right raised a bunch of old, uh, very, very bad and ugly Twitter jokes of his. 
And so last week there was a, uh, the main cast of Guardians of the Galaxy wrote a pretty strong open letter in support of Gunn. And then they, they took to Twitter asking for Disney to rehire him. Disney has not officially responded to that yet, but the word that we've been hearing from inside is that they do not plan on rehiring him right now, that they're not interested in bringing him back, and that they're willing to just delay Guardians of the Galaxy 3 until they find the, uh, until they find the right new director for it. We'll get into a few other minor developments, but uh, we talked a little about this a little bit last week. Hannah, you weren't there for that. Um, in sort of the, the week and a half since this is all broken, have you had any uh, fresh thoughts about it? You know, I, I, I think I appreciate the fact that uh, most of the cast, I think Dave Batista kind of broke his silence before everyone else on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He's been pretty outspoken about it. But I appreciated that they all came together but waited a few days to really be thoughtful about how they wanted to respond to Disney's decision to fire him. Um, I'm not sure I have a fresh take on it. I think there wasn't a, a, a huge secret that James Gunn had like had these jokes on Twitter and they were really inappropriate. I think that he gave sincere apologies over and over again publicly. It seemed an odd choice to me for Disney just to suddenly give in to a pretty disreputable group of people's, you know, desires in that way. So I don't know if that's a fresh take, but that's just my opinion. I think it's my take too. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe not fresh, but I, I agree with you. I, I think that the people arguing for his firing weren't doing so in good faith, which sort of complicates everything. And nobody, not us, and I don't think anybody is defending what James Gunn said or did, but but where there seems to have been a pretty clear change of heart and, and repentance since then, it feels like a weird decision to let him go. I do love this, though. Like, Batista saying that if they don't reinstate Gunn, he would ask to be let out of his contract or, like, just walk from the movie. Like, I love that. <laughs> I honestly love that move. Like, it, it just... I it's Some reports that I've seen have said that, like, Disney is willing to sit down with Gunn. Uh, I think another big piece of the news this week is that shareholders were giving their vote on Disney to acquire Fox. Uh, and with that, I've, like, also read some of the conversations around, like... Did Disney make this move because it did start gaining traction and they just so they had to take, you know, you know, action against Gunn so he didn't mm-hmm. disrupt the acquisition. And so now that that has that looks likely to actually go through, are they willing to actually sit down with him and potentially look for ways to reinstate? Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be very interesting regardless to see how this plays out. If if the if the firing of him stands or if they bring him back. As far as Batista goes, I love how much he like he's just like taking a stand and saying that it's absolutely ridiculous that uh, Disney uh, Disney took these actions against Gun. And it seems to stem from such a place of genuine friendship and wanting to stand by a real friend and and being loyal to him. It doesn't have the sort of sheen of of Hollywood cynicism about it that the decision to fire him did, where it, you really do get the sense that Disney is just playing kind of this uh well what can you do that's the era we're in that's how the game is played whereas batista seems like he he dave batista who plays drax in the movies we should say his statements have been very clear and he's obviously very very angry and he does hold a lot of power in this uh in this relationship because he can walk and it's going to be really hard to replace him in these movies we'll see what happens i I really don't know i I think it could go either way I, i don't know if anybody has any answers right now and it's something that i don't think there is a 
reason, I, I understand why Disney made the decision that they did or why it seemed like the right idea. Uh, I'm just not sure it was the right one. Yeah, my, my husband and I were reading his tweets, Dave Bautista's tweets this morning, and I was like, oh, you know, it's so like refreshing to see someone speak kind of out of line like that about something just because yeah. they're convicted about it without maybe the concern of like how it's positioning them in Hollywood, you know, like it's so easy to kind of uh, compromise your convictions on things because you want to look good to studios, you know, you want to be hireable and, you know, you really put yourself at risk when you're like, I'm going to walk from this. Uh, or I'm willing to walk from it. Like, I don't want to be a part of this movie um, based upon the decisions I think you made that were, you know, wrong. So I applaud him for that. That's that's a big deal to do something like that so vocally and publicly. He, he seems like a really earnest person. He just doesn't seem like he's here to play the game. That he seems a lot like Drax, honestly, in a lot of ways. He just he doesn't have a whole lot of pretense about him, and and he just says what's on his mind, and that's really admirable. It doesn't happen very much in that industry. So that will wrap that up, Chris. You brought up the uh, the, the Disney Fox acquisition. There's a lot of possible things that are that are happening with that uh, the big thing that people have been talking about if disney acquires fox is that that would clear the way for x-men to be part of the marvel universe uh, that would be exciting but the one we're talking about this week is that it would also bring the fantastic four back into the fold uh who's the group we're gonna be talking about today fantastic four was the first super group of superheroes that marvel ever produced they started their uh, comic magazine way back in 1961 stan lee and jack kirby they're bringing their comic back for the first time in, I believe it's eight years. We're going to get another Fantastic Four comic back at Marvel Comics, and that's going to be releasing uh, tomorrow, the day that most of you, uh, the day this episode actually actually gets published is uh, going to be the first time we have a new Fantastic Four comic by Sarah Pacelli and uh, Dan Slott. Before we dig into the actual comics or, or the history, which we will do, or or we will unfortunately have to talk about the movies at some point, so... We appreciate your prayers now. What's you guys' general feel for a Fantastic Four? Because I get the sense that they've sort of been the ones who've been left behind in a lot of the resurgence of superheroes because everybody knows who the Avengers are. The X-Men have always been popular. And the Fantastic Four, despite being first, have, haven't really been the biggest in quite a while. Did you guys read them or do you read them or do you have a, a like a fond feeling about them? I think, uh, so I've read um, Matt Fraction's Fantastic Four run, which is is pretty good. Um, I think that I I was trying to choose between that and Jonathan Hickman's, which in hindsight, I feel like that's one I should have spent my time on, but I I still enjoyed it. Um, I like Fractions. It's good. Yeah, no, it's good. It's just, it's it's hard to compete with Jonathan Hickman. He's a, it's not not even fair. (laughs) So um, it's unfortunate that it hasn't been as successful, I mean, particularly because, you know, this kind of resurgence that we've seen in comics, you know, since, I guess, the early 2000s with, like, the movies coming out, you know, Fantastic Four, the movie, I know we're not really talking about it yet, but in terms of, like, it maybe not being as successful, I think, like, its cheesiness has not really done the whole, you know, franchise very well. It's Oh, and also, I didn't realize this, there was a movie that came out in the 90s. A Fantastic oh. Four movie. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't Stuff even know that. Unreleased. It never actually, it never actually hit theaters, but it was made, and you can watch it for free on YouTube whenever you feel like it. Oh, can you? Like, oh man, I just I encourage people to go and you know at least look it up on IMDb and, and look at the, the the whole the movie poster. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> but I, I do feel like it's it's one of those the characters have been given a disservice because I feel like they're at large kind of 
PR fiasco that's not really um, Marvel's fault, the comic book writers, so much as it is just, you know, the shit that they took on it with the uh, the movie that came out in the early 2000s. I forget who even directed it, but yeah. Uh, that would have been Tim Story, right? The, for the first two with uh, with Chris Evans and Jessica Alba? Mm-hmm. I think even beyond the movies, like in thinking about them in pop culture, like they just have never really... Uh, they've never been of interest to me. Like I've never found, I've never, I feel like when you talk about classic comic book stories, there aren't really any fantastic four runs that come to mind. Like if you're talking, like even like setting the foundation, like we know that they are named Marvel's first family, but beyond that, like I hear people talk about like classic, you know, classic Spider-Man, classic Captain America moments, you know, classic Superman, Batman, all these things. And yet like, the first family, the Fantastic Four, they were the they were, you know, pioneers in themselves. But nobody really like loops any of their stories into the conversation. I think that that's been interesting. Like, how do you how do you make these like four characters interesting? Like, and it's it's been really hard. I don't and the movies definitely like any kind of pop culture references to them, like have not done them any service. I've never been drawn to them as like beyond Jonathan Hickman's run, like, which again, like we'll get to that in a bit, but like, it's, it's an amazing, amazing story. But even, even that, like I get so much more enjoyment out of it knowing how much more it plays into this bigger picture beyond fantastic four that Jonathan Hickman was playing um throughout other marvel stories so while it like it is great as it as it's own like there's still like a larger world like a larger story at play that just doesn't just hinge on you know these four main characters as i was researching this episode there was a quote i came across and i actually can't remember who said it but a a comic book writer it may have been mark wade uh said that any marvel story could be a fantastic four story the idea being that the entirety of Marvel comic can really revolve around Fantastic Four. Uh, and they're sort of the central characters, the, the beating heart of the whole universe in a lot of ways. But like you said, Chris, I think that they are, they often serve uh, on the sidelines. They exist as a sideshow. They, they get brought in as the special guest in a lot of things. They're, villains their bad guys have become some of the biggest most popular villains in the whole marvel universe dr doom is probably marvel's most famous bad guy at least in the comic books and he's a he's primarily a fantastic four villain so i I think you're right in the sense that they're almost the the old guard maybe in some of the ways that that a lot of uh that a lot of like modern indie bands will talk about the Smiths a lot. Even if you don't listen to the Smiths a lot today, you definitely know their influence and you're aware of how central and influential they are within the, the indie rock industry. Uh, but they just kind of get, they don't get brought into as many conversations as say Arcade Fire or the Shins would today. And uh, I, I would like for this new run to help uh, bring them back a little bit. And if the, if this Fox Marvel this Fox Disney merger does anything good, it might give us a good Fantastic Four movie, which would be a big step towards bringing them back to the limelight, which is where they actually started, which is what we're going to talk about in the script. The week Fantastic Four issue one came out, it was far from the biggest news story in the country. Just a few weeks earlier, the infamous Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin had become the first man in space, and the space race began in earnest, with the United States trailing. 
America was dazzled by the prospects of the stars, and there was desperation in the air. Its newfound sense of superiority was shaken by the Soviet Union, and the only way to reclaim that warm blanket was through having the best, smartest scientists in the world. For a brief time in American history, scientists were rock stars. Like the cowboy and soldier before them, scientists had captured the cultural imagination. It was 1961. Scientists could be superheroes. Around that same time, Timely Comics was in trouble. The glory days of the comic book industry seemed long gone, as Americans were suddenly taken away with strange new technologies that made monster stories, romance yarns, and titillating pinups feel unbearably outdated. Timely had fired most of its artists, content to freelance its stories out while there was still time, and Stanley Lieber, the 30-something editor of Timely Comics, was considering leaving himself. He had always wanted to write novels. He fancied himself a decent enough writer, but here he was, stuck writing comics for kids. His boss told him to keep the story simple, no words over two syllables, no concepts that might go over the head of an 11-year-old. Lieber was so embarrassed of the stories that he didn't even sign them with his real name. He called himself Stan Lee. But a change was in the wind, and it started, as a lot of superhero stories do, with plagiarism. Stanley's boss, Martin Goodman, was playing a game of golf with his friendly competitor, Jack Leibowitz, who ran DC Comics. At some point, Leibowitz mentioned that his company had thrown their most popular characters into a single title called the Justice League of America, and it was selling pretty well. Goodman, a particularly cynical businessman, smelled an opportunity. He told Stan that he wanted his own team of superheroes to compete with the Justice League. Stan's gut instinct was to quit. The last thing he wanted to do was write a silly story about a group of Superman knockoffs in long underwear. It was his wife, Joan, who talked him out of quitting. She urged him to write the story, but write it the way he wanted. Ignore Goodman's rules about childishly simple plots and cookie-cutter characters. Write a superhero story, but write it the way he wanted to. Worst-case scenario, Joan figured he'd get fired. He wanted to quit anyway, so what was the harm? So Stan recruited Timely's hottest artist, an industry vet named Jack Kirby, and the two dreamed up a fabulous foursome with a concept so crazy it just might work. It's worth noting here that this is the legend that's been passed down at Marvel. It's a good story with plenty of drama and flair, a Hail Mary from a guy who had no idea what genius he was capable of until he cast off the restrictions that had been placed upon him and did it his own way. You couldn't ask for a better myth. Is it factually accurate? Well, Stanley specializes in superhero stories, and the general consensus seems to be that the best one he ever came up with was his own. What can't be denied is that there was no real precedent for the Fantastic Four. It's certainly true that Martin Goodman didn't get the Justice League clones he'd been hoping for. For starters, and this was important to Stanley and Jack Kirby, their characters had no silly costumes. Lee was fond of saying that if he had superpowers, he wouldn't want to hide them under a mask. The people in the first issue of the Fantastic Four dressed in sensible sweaters, slacks, and skirts. Secondly, importantly, this crew didn't operate in Metropolis, Gotham City, or any other fictional enclave. This was clearly New York City, populated by a generic but familiar, if awfully white, populace. There was a female character who didn't just exist as a damsel to be rescued or a Lois Lane type who could never quite crack the case of just who these heroes were, but a super-powered vigilante in her own right. 
But most importantly, the thing that truly changed the game was the characterization. The Justice League was made up of a squad of generic do-gooders who all talked and acted the same, switched their costumes up a little, and you could hardly tell them apart. But Lee and Kirby's foursome was quarrelsome. Hardly a page of that first issue goes by in which they don't lock horns. They were a family, literally, for the most part, but they were a dysfunctional one. There was Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, the ostensible leader, a brilliant scientist whose intellect could distance him from the rest of the group. There was Sue Storm, the invisible woman, his fiance, whose 1960s characterization hasn't aged well, but still had a lot of agency for the time. Her brother, Johnny Storm, the human torch, the literal hothead, who was more interested in cars and girls than heroics. And finally, Reed's old college buddy, Ben Grimm, the thing, an ugly orange rock monster whose grouchy exterior hid a heart of gold. Ben was the most popular character in those early days, and no wonder. While other superheroes' powers were unambiguously a blessing, Ben's was entirely a curse. His great strength and invulnerable exterior rendered him unable to live anything like a normal life. Ben could use his powers to fight crime and save his friends, but given the opportunity, he would give it all away to rejoin his fellow man. Many stories would feature Reed laboring to reverse what happened to Ben, doomed forever to failure. In many ways, Ben has become the heart and soul of Marvel Comics, a superheroic misfit, all too aware that power and responsibility go hand in hand, a person who'd be living a normal, unremarkable life if not dealt this flawed, fantastic hand. But he learned to make the best of it, referring to himself jokingly as the idol of millions with a self-deprecating sense of humor, forever thanking his sweet old Aunt Petunia and Yancey Street for his life lessons and charging into battle with the courage to rival anyone in the Marvel Universe. In those days, sales figures weren't readily available, but timely, by this point changed to Marvel Comics for reasons that seemed to have been lost to the mists of time, knew it had a hit on its hands for another reason. Fan mail previously a rarity in the offices, was suddenly pouring in from all over the country. And not just letters saying, hey, I like that story, but readers really engaging with and relating to the characters. They had favorite characters. They had favorite villains, even. They developed crushes on them. They even had advice, the most regular and dire of which being that the four needed superhero costumes, a critique Stan and Jack begrudgingly accepted. There was so much mail that Stan ended up putting a fan letter section at the end of the future issues, and it's been a staple in every Marvel comic since. Things would gel over time. The squabbling would turn more good-natured, as Johnny and Ben in particular would bicker like brothers in a way that made it clear either of them would readily die for the other. Reed and Sue became almost parental in their leadership. They weren't a literal nuclear family, but they acted like one. And the metaphor stuck permanently after Reed and Sue got married and started having children, for whom Johnny and Ben were readily devoted literal and surrogate uncles. But they're also explorers, and Stanley and Jack Kirby used them to fill out the many corners of their fledgling universe, as Reed's zany scientific exploits took the family on an endless array of eye-popping adventures, from the underground caverns of Subterranea, to Prince Namor's undersea kingdom of Atlantis, to the mysterious blue area of the moon, where the passive godlike watcher observed humanity, to the negative zone, a dangerous dimension full of powerful insect-like creatures bent on the destruction of our reality. There were characters like Diablo, the Mole Man, the Silver Surfer, and Galactus, and of course, the tiny European nation of Latveria and its dreaded monarch, Dr. Doom. And that's a story for another time. It was a new age of scientific progress that gave birth to a new age of superheroes. 
The success of the Fantastic Four gave Martin Goodman the confidence to let Stan Lee and Jack Kirby stretch their wings even further. Newer, weirder creations like the Hulk and Doctor Strange were in the wings, and the Fantastic Four's popularity was soon to be dwarfed by Spider-Man and later the X-Men and the Avengers. But it was the notion of family that made the Fantastic Four feel special. Traditionally billed as the world's greatest comic magazine, they occupy a unique and beloved place at Marvel, the forerunners of a new kind of superhero. I'm curious, Hannah, you mentioned that you considered either the Jonathan Hickman run or the Matt Faction run. Why'd you go for the Fraction one? I was in the mood for something like what I thought was going to be a little more, you know, uh, humorous, uh, just because, you know, I've read Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Uh, I like his self-deprecating Which sense is great. of humor. Yeah. And um, what I thought was really funny about, and maybe, maybe it was unintentionally funny, but it really felt like his Fantastic Four kind of like it was... Uh, the Richards family, like their adventure in unorthodox homeschooling methods, is <laughs> <was> kind of. <laughs> I don't know if either of you had read have read that uh, fractions run. Um, it, it's good. Like I, I don't think it's you know my favorite series of read, but that's because also like I'm not in love with Fantastic Four in general. They're not my it's not my favorite comic uh, to read, but I still enjoyed it. But I I couldn't help but just kind of feel like when. Stanley and Jack Kirby, uh, you know, were thinking this up. It makes sense. You think about the sixties, you think about space travel and the excitement that was bubbling around that. And I totally felt like some of that, I felt like Matt Fraction was trying to um, really give you that sense of like lost in space kind of feel, which I, I think is fun. It's like, you know, it's definitely an emphasis on adventure, you know, less about like having, you know, a super villain which was fun. I, it was a nice little change of pace. I feel like it'd be a, it'd be like a fun story for, um, you know, a younger audience to enjoy as well. So. And I think that's something that the Fantastic Four at their best, and this is true in the, in the Jonathan Hickman run that, that we've referenced as well. They're, they're almost more explorers than they are superheroes. Uh, Reed Richards as a, as a scientist and the rest of the team is sort of just his, his, buddy his wife and his friends who are there to help him carry out his harebrained science experiments i think lost in space is a really good uh, analogy to that i in uh, almost a precursor in a lot of ways because they do fight bad guys but their bad guys often have less to do with world threats than they do with the crazy hijinks they get mixed up in when reed has some sort of new plane of reality he wants to explore and and that can make for just sort of a different, fresh sort of adventure story than the usual Avengers or Spider-Man acting as sort of a deep line, a first line of defense against bad guys in New York City. Chris, you dug into Jonathan Hickman's series? Yeah, it was my second time going through it. Um, and I got all the way up through their future, uh, starting the Future Foundation. And I, I, I truly have had, like, historically had a whatever feeling towards the Fantastic Four, but I feel like the story that Hickman writes makes me feel like I understand their purpose, right? Like, Fantastic Four, they're, they're not just confined to New York City, and we get to see everything from, like, this Earth, this underworld, uh, like, under New York City um, that was being grazed to, like, old Atlantis, pockets of space outside of time. Uh, it's just, it gives a really good story around... Uh, the exploration side, uh, like the discovery side of the Fantastic Four and like what they've like 
historically represented um, and tying it into this like really grand event and just add some additional context because I touched on it earlier, like the story Hickman tells uh, in the Fantastic Four and his future foundation run uh, plants seeds for some of his later runs on New Avengers that leads into um, a huge event uh, called uh, Secret Wars that happened several years ago. Uh, which is probably like one of my favorite comic book events in the last 20 years. Um, it, re- it really is incredible, but you start seeing like, it was really fun just reading this a second time after I've read those other runs and that, that event and seeing like how he was like planting seeds about just like the big world ending and how doom is the answer and stuff like that. So it was, it's really cool just to see, like take a step back and see this huge picture that, he defined this huge event in, uh, of Secret Wars around the Fantastic Four in their universe. So it's really, it's really fitting, um, you know, when we think of like the origins of them and them being the first family of Marvel. It, it was just really cool, and it, it just it gave me a newfound respect for Fantastic Four, which is a huge accomplishment from uh, someone. So that, I think that's why I just like generally love Jonathan Nickman's writing. Hannah, did you like Fantastic Four any better than you did after re- going through a few uh, a few stories from Matt Fraction? I'm not sure it changed my opinion all that much. It's not I I didn't have like you know super negative feelings about it. I wouldn't put it that way. Um, more just kind of like I, there's so many good comics out there. You have to pick and choose what you have the time for, what you wanna what you wanna you know give your time to, and. I obviously like, I love secret wars. Um, so that was really my only experience, like, you know, experience with, uh, Reed Richards, I guess in particular, and then fantastic four. I think I need to read Jonathan Hickman's fantastic four run, like all the way through. And maybe I will have a a new appreciation for it. It's always interesting. Even when you reread things, how at different times of your life, you might have a different, uh, appreciation for it or a new perspective. And I mean, it, it happens with books and it happens with comics. So Maybe instead of rewatching Daredevil season three like three times, maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll take that time and I'll and I'll and I'll watch. Uh, I'll read Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four, but um, I think I'm I'm definitely waiting for them to give that uh, to give Fantastic Four like an awesome movie. You know, like technology has never been better. Uh, you know, I was talking to my husband about. Um, Doctor Strange. And I was like, oh man, like I kind of wish, you know, Doctor Strange was, was, you know, like they had come out with that movie earlier. Cause I loved watching him and uh, Tony Stark kind of squabble in Infinity War. Like I thought that they had really funny uh, tension between them. And I was just thinking like, you know what though? Like they made the Doctor Strange movie when it was right. Cause like the technology was like amazing. The, the CGI was really good. And that, that being said, like they could totally make an awesome movie. And I feel like take us to like the far stretches of space. And just make a cool adventure story. And I think maybe the world could fall in love with Fantastic Four. And we can we can just like wash out the other crap that's come out, you know, just, just forget it ever happened. Hey, technology is so advanced that they even made Dr. Doom a computer hacker. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's inevitable. We have to talk about the movies a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the segue I wanted, but it's the segue we got. Um, <laughs> so the most recent one that was directed by Josh Trank had a famously very difficult production um by the time the the movie just sort of limped into theaters and nobody seemed very happy about it the cast didn't even want to do interviews i don't think anybody thought it was gonna be good uh despite a pretty promising cat miles teller 
uh, Michael B. Jordan, of course. Like, like you have a, a decent, a, a not terrible cast. But did you guys see it? Nope. <laughs> I wouldn't like run, Hannah, if I were you to go see it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've heard similar things. You actually saw the theaters, though, right, Tyler? I, I saw. I, I paid for a ticket. Yeah. So was yeah, it yeah, was it that gross. bad? Because you hear, like, obviously the internet likes to blow things out of proportion sometimes. So tell me, was it as bad as the internet was telling me? Yes, one thousand percent. It's honestly hard to believe that you can make such a bad film in 2016, but they did. Like in such a grandiose way, they made a really bad movie. You could tell how much the studio had gotten involved, like trying to, to fix it. And I don't know that it was that you know if they had that it would have been good. I don't think it was, um, but just it, it looked like it had been tape put together with scotch tape. The story was incoherent. The it was it was moody. It had nothing for it, like you're talking about Hannah with fan service. I'm just surprised there wasn't more of it. Like these, this is not the the characters that we come to see when we see a Fantastic Four movie. I think they had like the one bright moment was uh, was when you found out who the cast was, and it sounded pretty cool. There was nothing in that movie that I would say that's what I want to see in a movie. That's what I'm looking for. It was just bad. Yeah, I really did think that when those actors signed on that there had to be a great working script. Yeah. And, same. You know, so we were get but we were given like this movie where they had like they had the most cliche ending. Like it makes me angry even talking about it. Like they're they're all like sitting together thinking of they're like, Oh, we need a team name. There's four of us. And then like a few other throwaway lines and Ben Grimm says something about the lines like, I don't know, it was fantastic. And then I think it was Reed goes, wait, say that again. (laughs) It's insane. And and title card immediately. It's absolutely. It was so clearly a ripoff from the end of Avengers age of Ultron when they tease Captain America's Avengers assemble line, but it felt like it took 20 minutes while Miles with a dumb smile on his face. Like you guys ready? I've got an idea. I know what her name's going to be. You ready for it? It involves some words that we all just said. Here it comes. I'm going to say it any minute now. And it lasted. I had already been in that theater for too long and wanted to blow my brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just wouldn't go cut to the credits. And uh, yeah, across the board. And there was a really weird Ben Grimm, who's the thing, who's my favorite member of the Fantastic Four, has his famous, it's clobber in time catchphrase, which here was turned into something that his big brother said before he beat him up. Like, it was implied that Ben came from an abusive family and that his older brother just said it's clobbering time before you hit him, which really robs the fun <laughs> that catchphrase. So <laughs> just some just baffling decisions across the board. In that respect, that's why I, I hugely prefer the first two movies from the early 2000s with Jessica Alba and, and a pre-Captain America Chris Evans, which aren't good at all but they're at least kind of fun and you get the impression that nobody's taking it super seriously. And uh, there's like, it's kind of goofy. I I would say of the, neither of these movies are good and we deserve better Fantastic Four movies. But if you've got to watch one or the other, watch the first two. They, they at least felt like they were drawn from the comics. Well, by the time that that, the first Fantastic Four movie came out in 2005, we had already had, two spider-man films which like spider-man 2 is like i feel like universally beloved we had two x-men films and like all four of these movies like they do have a ton of love behind them i don't know like so the like you figure like the script for 
Fantastic Four one and two were just so generic and it was just such a there's not much substance to them. Like you're going to, it's essentially like a, I feel like a movie that you would put on and end up looking at your phone yeah. halfway through. Fair. Very generic. Yeah. Very like paint by numbers. I haven't seen the first two Fantastic Four movies in a long time. So I'm not going to like, I'm not telling people to go watch them. I I do think that there is some, there are like some very mild hints of where the Marvel Cinematic Universe was heading in terms of trying to blend action and humor and stay trying to stay true to the comic book roots they didn't do a good job and and they very famously messed that up in Fantastic Four 2 where Galactus, who's one of the coolest creations in Marvel Comics, has just turned into a giant formless cloud storm and it was extremely disappointing. But I think on a rewatch, at least there's some, there's, you could tell that somebody had read a Fantastic Four comic and then like, this should be a movie. Whereas in the Josh Trank, Fortastic or however they, they stylized it, it, it's just bad across the board. And then we, we would be remiss to not reference the 90s movie, which was made before there was any superhero movies other than Tim Burton's Batman and Richard Donner Superman movies, which never saw the light of day uh, until it was uploaded to YouTube, is, is famously so terrible that the studio chose to just take a hit and not release it at all, rather than risk the, the embarrassment of releasing the movie they made into theaters. What can I say? It's a movie. I take it either of you have ever seen it. No, no. I didn't know it even existed until like, Six hours ago, <laughs> so I've watched little clips, but I have not. I've never like taken the time to watch the whole thing. It's the the subplot of Arrested Development season four, where they do they make a musical based off of it. <laughs> That's easily the most the highest profile it's ever gotten in its existence. But it, it's out there; it exists. We can't. Ha- I could not say that we were doing our duty to you as a superhero podcast about the Fantastic Four if we didn't reference the 1994 movie starring. I don't even know who. I don't think it launched any big any big acting careers or anything like that. Which takes us to the future. Uh, it seems inevitable that they're going to get another shot. I don't know if it's going to be in two years or five or if Marvel's going to give a little more time to let the stink wash away. So I'll, I'll tell you guys something that I would really like to see from the Fantastic Four movie, and I'd be interested to hear your takes as well. One thing that I feel like is really key to the Fantastic Four that the movies have sort of missed and that the comics are at their best when they really embrace is the the idea that Reed Richards is is a genius, is is a very, very intellectual person whose intellect distances him from other people. In Marvel, there's a lot of really smart people um, in the comics Black Panther, T'Challa is a is a genius. Peter Parker is a genius. It's a very it's not uncommon to be a genius if you're a Marvel comic character. And the movies have sort of dodged that a little bit. They they've chosen not to really focus on that. And I think if there was ever a time where they were really going to focus in on the idea of what it means to be a, a a super genius, somebody whose superpower is actually their own intellectual brilliance. It would be with Reed Richards. So I'd like to see an intellectual actor. I'd like to see the script written by somebody who really understands sort of the distancing effect that that sort of intellect can have on somebody. And I think it would be an interesting, different character to bring into the MCU that we haven't really seen up to this point. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, I mean, you're not going to find too many cool special effects with a stretchy person. So (laughs) I think the solution there is his other main strong point, which like... I think, I mean, 
all these lists are kind of subjective, but I feel like you know, he's like universally like renowned as like the smartest person in the Marvel universe. So yeah, that would be super cool. I mean, I, I feel like when we talk about the future of Fantastic Four and MCU, I, I th- it just comes back to doom for me. Yeah, yeah. just kidding. Like, and, and I, th- I think a lot about like what the next phase of Marvel is going to look like after Avengers four and, uh, you know, I have thoughts on that as well, but like, I would just really, really love, like, if they're going to truly bring it more back to Earth and less cosmic, then I feel like having Doom a part of that is a really good way to go. But yeah, man, if anything, Jonathan Hickman's run, like, makes me fall more in love with Doom than he does uh, with the actual Fantastic Four. Doom is, like, I think the best villain that Marvel's got, and I'm surprised that the movie's even, even none of the movies have gotten Doom right at all. And it, but what's even weirder is how badly they've got him. They haven't even really tried to pull the Doom from the comics. And but it, it, it's a tough one. He's a tough cast, and, and I think that he's in a lot of ways the fifth member of the Fantastic Four, and that you, you he's really key to their success. And and everything that is iconic about them is iconic because of the just how grand their villain is in Doctor Doom. So getting that character right, and and I think Doctor Doom would be a great at following Thanos if they want to keep the event the MCU going. I think Doctor Doom would be a great villain to sort of for the next five ten years of of the MCU as a binding element in all of the movies to tease for a big showdown in twenty thirty or whenever the next like big Avengers crossover event is. So yeah, I, I agree with that, Chris. I, I would love to see a really really good Doctor Doom brought to the screen. Hannah, how about you? What would get you most interested in a really good Fantastic Four movie? I think that your idea is good as long as they have, you know, the right director and writers, uh, as, as, as it is with most movies. Like, obviously, like, Fantastic Four won't sell themselves um, at this point. So I think that would be awesome. I think another possibility, uh, work with me here, is if they wanted to go, you know, the television show route, perhaps on, on, you know, like Netflix or I guess they have, they use Hulu too, whatever. I don't know what the difference is, but maybe doing like keeping it more in the adventure spirit and kind of keeping it, think, think of like, you know how like some of our favorite sci-fi shows have like that freak of the week kind of, um, you know, kind of feel like Fringe or yeah. X-Files, um, yeah. something like that, you know, a la Star Trek. I don't know. That to me sounds fun. Oh, yeah. And maybe just making it like super geeky science fiction uh, would be something that I don't think they've really tapped into yet, but that I think would totally, uh, you know, speaking of like fan service would, would really get people pretty, pretty jazzed. So that's my pitch. Uh, I think you might be onto something. I think that well, the the rumor is that Kevin Feige is is very interested in bringing, in particular, uh, the Silver Surfer and Galactus into the MCU, who are primarily Fantastic Four sort of side characters who became stars in their own right. It seems sort of strange to think about uh, having those characters in the MCU without the Fantastic Four, but we know that Disney is launching their own streaming service where they're going to 
consolidate all of their own movies and TV shows into one Netflix type service, it seems almost inevitable that they're going to start creating their own original content for that service. So I'd be surprised if original Marvel TV shows weren't a part of that. And if that's the case, then Fantastic Four makes as much sense as anybody. I do think the TV format works a lot better for superheroes than movies, since you can have that serialized storytelling uh, monster of the week type format you're talking about without having to wait two or three years between for a bunch of uh, uh, a ton of exposition and over explanation that people don't always have the patience for. We'll see. I love the idea of a, I, I would be right there for a fantastic four TV show first day. And if they had a good cast and a good writer behind it, I'd be excited about it. Okay. So here's a question for you guys, because I really feel like I would never have chosen Miles Teller for Reed Richards. Uh, like, I don't think he's a bad actor. Uh, I think he's a good actor. But um, I, I'm curious as to who you guys think would play a good Reed Richards. I don't know. I never really fan-casted this guy. It's it's kind of a tricky one. I thought about it, too. And I'm not sure I have, like, kind of an ideal fit. The big one, the big internet champion is John Krasinski. No. I don't really see it. I don't Which, see it. I, I, and I, yeah. as a John Krasinski fan, I don't see it. Do you think he would have a hard time with that, that intellectual side that you kind of hope seeing? Yeah. I, I, yeah. This is going to make it sound like I think he's dumb. I don't think John Krasinski's dumb. I just think he's like a normally smart, intelligent guy. Um, and I don't really see Someone who could like pull off more socially awkward, I think. Not that I'm sure he could. I just have a hard time picturing that. Yeah, I really, I, I have a tough time thinking about it. Like, there's not a lot of really intellectual actors who are, who also have the sort of, uh, I don't know, virility of a superhero in Hollywood right now. It, it's easier to think of the rest of them. Like, you could just get any any young hotshot actor. It could be Johnny Storm. It, it's a little bit harder to think of somebody who, who has that. I don't know. You didn't have an idea, Anna? Okay, I have an idea. This is kind of... <laughs> this is her just like she wanted no, she wanted actually, us to ask I, no I, I was i was genuinely curious if you guys had ever thought about it leonardo dicaprio wow i don't think he'd ever do tv but in the movie i don't know i feel like he could kind of pull that off um he's handsome without being like freakishly handsome for a smart guy you know <laughs> like i always hate when they like not he's not anymore he used to be kind of freakishly handsome but yeah i would say He's not like Zac Efron, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, he's not like manscaping. I see what you're saying. I'm looking at some of the, like, of, like a fan cast list just real quick to see who they mentioned. John Krasinski's on there. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which is an interesting choice. If they go the younger route, maybe. Um, and then Glenn Howerton from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think we're okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's already made his MCU appearance. I could almost see somebody like Sterling K. Brown, who just seems a little more reserved, maybe not quite as, uh, doesn't quite command a, a room in the same way a lot of big actors do. Could pull something like that off. Mm-hmm. What was the, what's the name of the other guy on This Is Us, uh, who, who I believe was killed off recently? I don't watch the show. Milo something? Oh, Milo. Yeah, Milo or Milo. I don't know. Milo something like it. that. Uh, that guy. He, he, he kind of has the look of a... The look of somebody like I, I don't. This is why we're not in the casting department, I suppose. Portrait genius. I, I really thought you guys would have had someone at the top of your list. I promise you, that was not just like it's a hard cast. I think yeah, I have thought about it because I would like to. I, I, I think about fan cast too much uh, for a growing up with a job, but I, I do think about it. 
Uh, but I think Reedus is a tough one. I, I agree that that I, I think Miles Teller was not the right move. Uh, but finding somebody who who has that that intellect and and sort of that commanding presence, it's no mean feat. It's hard. I know Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> you're putting me over on that one a little bit. I can see it when you let it marinate for a little bit. Okay, like it makes more sense. We're, I feel like we'll you're like, all right, fair. I'm always surprised by what Leonardo DiCaprio can pull off. So I'm willing to give him a. I I, I feel like we're going to hear about this on Twitter, but I think I'm okay with the idea of a. If that was announced, I'd be down with it. Oh, and I would love to hear from our listeners who they think would make a good Reed Richards or any of the question of the week. the other characters. We'll come back. We'll, we'll come back. We got one. I'll put some thought to it this week. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back with something. Just you guys wait. You're gonna love it. It's gonna be a really solid casting possibility. I just can't think of who would be right. <laughs> one I've seen, and uh, I, I've I've gone back and forth on it a little bit, but I do I like him a lot, and I know that he's a big comic book nerd, and I'm so I'd like for him to be in a comic book movie at some point because I I think he is passionate about the about the genre is John Hamm. Oh yeah, I've been wondering like where he fits in like in the Marvel universe. Cause like he does have like the very classically handsome. He could be a, he could play a superhero. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So to John Hamm, like, I don't know if he's like tried for a lot of big roles, but he was fantastic in Mad Men. And then like nothing else has really landed. So I'm just like, I don't like, I'm curious, like what, what's going wrong for John Hamm? He needs a, he needs a win post Mad Men. Cause he hasn't really had an unqualified win. Other than, I guess you could say, uh, Baby Driver, oh, which he was so very good in. Really cool. I liked there was also that Disney movie. It was like some kind of athletic inspirational movie that came out that I think did pretty well, review-wise. It's like a live-action inspirational Disney movie. They come out with those every few years, you know, for the Christian movie viewing audience, I feel like. <laughs> he's the Christian movie for the family-friendly crowd. Yeah. He said he's turned down superhero offers in the past so i obviously he's been i'm sure both dc and marvel would love to have and have probably offered him roles but see it sounds like he's waiting for the right role which would be kind of rare because otherwise he said yes to a lot of wrong roles in his post but he was in the town the town, the town was, really, was good. really good i don't think you left thinking about john ham in that movie but he was he was really good. well no you're you're right but <laughs> he has picked good movies you're right leading leading roles not as not as much because you know he's he is like you can tell he, he really enjoys doing comedy but i don't know if like he's picked like strong comedic roles uh i guess is the other than no i think you're, i think you're totally right he was funny in bridesmaids but it was such a small role that it, it didn't make that much of a difference this has really quickly turned into a podcast about john ham helping john ham's <laughs> john ham and the lightning thief <laughs> i know that i know that ryan as a like secretly wants john ham to take over superman from henry cavill i've never quite seen that one but i'll just put him i know ryan's out this week ryan i'm here for you buddy if you're listening John Hamm for Superman. We're doing our part. Did he give us any uh, takes for Fantastic Four? No, he didn't. He uh, didn't. We even gave him the opportunity to send uh, to write a text for us to read out loud on air for for all the fans, but he didn't take us up on it. So I'm just going to fan cast John Hamm as Superman for him. Yeah, he stand by that. <laughs> and I think with that, we will probably wrap it up, and we'll uh, we'll all be back with our friend Ryan Hamm next time. Thanks for listening so much, everybody. We we appreciate y'all. If you like what you hear, please head over to our podcast. Episode 
episode page and give us a, a positive review. I know I say this every time, but it really, really helps us uh, getting those positive reviews that uh, helps us keep on doing this and, and turning them out. We always appreciate the feedback that you give as long as it's positive. If you want to give us more of it, then you can head over to at Cape Town Pod on Twitter or at Cape Town Pod on Facebook as well. Uh, many thanks to Chad Michael Smaveling, CM Studios. They're the ones who keep us sounding good in the production studio. And that'll wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. I'm Hannah Mazel. No need for thanks, citizen. We'll see you next time.